All right. Hello, Christ community. Welcome. So glad all of you are here. Greetings to our West Campus and our Traditions venue, as well as our friends at LaSalle Community Church who use our teaching videos in their worship services. We love you guys there in LaSalle and the work you're doing and grateful for our partnership. So here we are in the midst of graduation season. Uh, congratulations to all the high school graduates. We're excited about what God has in store for each of you. I remember very little about my graduation um, from high school, except that I had to give a graduation speech, and I was terrified. Uh, I was so glad when it was over. I mean, graduation speeches are kind of they're kind of tough, especially as a high school student, because you don't have much public speaking experience, and you don't have much life experience, right? And you're trying to inspire your peers to greatness. Most every graduation speech has some inspirational element. We can change the world. You know, we, we can make a difference. And, and mine, mine was no different. I remember very little about my speech, but I do remember a story I told. And, and I told this story in my speech about a high jumper um, in a very important track meet who just before doing this jump, he confided in his coach that he didn't think he could clear the high jump bar. And his coach said to him, just throw your heart over the bar and your body will follow. I mean, every graduation speech has a statement or a story like that, right? Now, if we're honest, if we're honest, these statements often feel like empty platitudes, you know, that are kind of removed from reality. But, but I believe, I believe these things actually speak to a very real, very core part of us as humans. See, the reality is every graduate sitting there, every person sitting there, every human being on earth wants their life to count. We all want our life to be measured as significant in some way. We all want to make a difference. So how does that happen? What does that really look like to change the world? Now, there are a lot of ways that people answer that question, but I want to think about that question from a larger perspective. I want to think about that question from God's perspective. You see, God's primary agenda, his primary mission is to change the world. I mean, this is the storyline of the Bible, you know, maybe you thought, I can't understand the Bible. You've tried to read or whatever, but let me tell you, this is the storyline of the Bible. The Bible is the storyline of God's activity among humanity. So in the first book of the Bible, it's called Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we see that God created the world and he created us as human beings in his image. In that setting, everything was perfect. Everything was whole. I mean, imagine a world where, where, where there is no sexual abuse, where there is no violence, where there is no hurts, where there is no evil. That's what God originally designed. But unfortunately, Adam and Eve chose to do their own thing. They chose to rebel against their loving creator. And at that moment, shame and conflict and self-centeredness and pain and violence and evil were unleashed in a dramatic way. So this beautiful, good, perfect world was broken, seemingly beyond repair. Sort of like a Humpty Dumpty scenario here, okay? But, but God, our creator, he had a plan, <clears throat> He had a plan to restore what was broken. God had a plan to change the world. 
So into this kingdom where sin and darkness and rebellion and all of that reign, God's plan was to bring his own kingdom, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of healing, a kingdom of transformation. And a critical part of God's plan, I'm kind of telling the story here, a critical part of God's plan was the sending of Jesus, his son to earth to be the one and only sacrifice for all of our sin so that we could experience forgiveness of sins, we could experience a relationship with him. <clears throat> so Jesus comes to earth, and when he begins his ministry, he starts talking about how the kingdom of God is here. In other words, there's a new sheriff in town, okay? The kingdom of God is here. God's kingdom, his restorative presence is now here in Jesus. So not surprisingly, as Jesus walks around on this broken planet, he begins to restore wholeness to people's lives. And we've been seeing this so clearly as we've been walking through the, this book of Luke. In chapter seven, we saw Jesus forgiving the sexually immoral woman. In chapter five, Jesus heals this guy with leprosy, which is a, just a horrible disease. And with social outcasts and all that because of the disease, God heals, Jesus heals him. In chapter eight, we just saw this he, a couple weeks ago. He sets this, this, this person free from all this demonic oppression. So for eight chapters in the book of Luke, we have seen God's kingdom. Remember his kingdom, he's restoring. His kingdom advancing. God, God, God's agenda to change the world is moving forward. And Jesus is at the center of this. But something incredibly significant happens beginning in Luke chapter 9 that dramatically changes the whole paradigm for how this kingdom is advancing, for how God is accomplishing his purposes. And the implications for you and me are absolutely staggering. They're staggering. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, uh, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have that, that's fine. We'll have the words on the screen. Let me read these verses in chapter 9, then we're going to unpack this. When Jesus had called the 12, that's the 12 disciples. Together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and, help, and, and healing people everywhere. Now this passage, in the story of God's activity. This passage is huge. It is incredibly significant. Up to this moment, Jesus was the one doing all the ministry. The disciples were just watching. They were just watching Jesus care for people and pray for people and teach people about the kingdom. But now Jesus says, I want you to go and do what I've been doing. I want you to go and heal the sick. I want you to go and talk to people about the kingdom of God. I mean, this is incredible. Jesus is delegating his ministry to his 12 disciples, but it gets even better. Look with me at the next chapter, <clears throat> chapter 10, Luke 10, beginning in verse one. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him, 
to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Okay, so now notice what's happening here. Now the circle is is widening even further. It's not just the 12 apostles. Now Jesus is sending out 72 others, ordinary people like you and me. We don't even know their names. They're just ordinary people like you and me with similar instructions. And then you can see later in the book of Acts, Luke wrote Acts as well. In the book of Acts, this vision continues where the entire church is given this mandate. So in these passages in Luke 9 and 10, we see this amazing window into how God is going to change the world, how God is going to restore the brokenness of humanity. He's going to do it through us. He's going to do it through us. God's plan to change the world is to bring his kingdom, his truth, his healing, his wholeness in life, to bring his kingdom to earth through ordinary people like you and me. And that's amazing. That's amazing. You and I get to be a part of God's plan to change the world. To be a follower of Jesus is not just about having our sins forgiven, forgiven and then kind of living a comfortable life. No, no, no. To be a follower of Jesus means to live as a sent one. To live as a sent one. That's the, that's the language G, uh, that Luke uses here. Jesus sends us out to this broken world all around us, whether, whether it's uh, an orphanage in Africa or a, a hurting neighbor next door. God's plan to change the world involves sending us out to bring his truth and his love and his healing. <clears throat> now, I don't know about you, but when I start hearing stuff like this in a, in a message like this, I start to feel a little uncomfortable. You know, I start to brace myself. Here it comes. I'm supposed to be making a difference, but I'm not. Get, you know, get ready to feel guilty about all the things I should be doing or how comfortable my life is when I could be living in an African orphanage or whatever. See, we, we often have this instinctive resistance. We often have this instinctive resistance to this idea of being sent. So what is that about? Why does this idea of being sent make us feel guilty rather than make us feel excited? That's a really important question that I want us to, to unpack because guilt is a lousy motivator. You know, it's a lousy motivator. If, if our living as sent ones is gonna be fueled by guilt and drive by guiltings from the pastor, you know, we're not gonna be changing the world. If it's about guilt, we're not gonna be changing the world. There has got to be a different approach to this than just our feeling guilty. How do we authentically and joyfully live as sent ones? Honestly, I think the answer goes back to the story I told in my graduation speech about the high jumper who didn't think he could get his, you know, physically he could get his body over that bar. And his coach told him, just throw your heart over the bar and your body will follow. See, the whole idea of living as sent ones is not about formulas. It is not about techniques. It's, about, it, 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 it's not about making all of us feel guilty enough to do something. That's not what it's about. It is fundamentally about our hearts. It's about getting our hearts out there 
and our actions will follow. See, our actions follow our hearts. It's about getting our hearts out there. And so what, what does that mean? Well, in these two passages in Luke 9 and 10 we just read, we see a few ways in which we can get our hearts out there in which we see this heart dynamic at work. One of the ways to move beyond this guilt and, and instead engage our hearts in God's mission is to remember something very important. It's to remember, remember that we have been sent out with good news. Okay, we have been sent out with good news, not bad news. <laughs> it's good news. So in Luke 9, Jesus tells the 12 <clears throat> to proclaim the kingdom of God. And in Luke 10, he tells them to declare the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, what is this kingdom of God stuff? Well, think about how incredible this news would have been to the, the Jews that were hearing this. They, would, they knew exactly what they were talking about. They, these people were waiting for their Messiah. They had been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for their Messiah, for this one whom the Old Testament describes as being the Prince of Peace. And of his government, there will be no end. His kingdom will never end. I mean, this is a big deal. They had suffered under Roman oppression and occupation for a long time. They longed for a better life. And as Jews, they instinctively knew that that new life was wrapped up in the Messiah, their Messiah coming and bringing God's kingdom. So when they hear these followers of Jesus declare, the kingdom of God is here. It is here. They are thrilled. It is incredibly good news. God is for them. He is with them. He is moving on their behalf despite their past rebellion. God is now here. I'm quite sure the disciples were very excited to tell this message. It was good news, right? They had seen Jesus at work. They had seen him calm the sea. They had seen him cast out demons. And now they're going to get to tell the people, hey, the Messiah, we've seen him. He's alive. The Messiah is here. I bet, I bet these disciples couldn't wait to tell this news. The kingdom of God has come near to you. So I look at that and I compare it to our context. And I think we are in a totally different world. We live in a society that has all these negative, stereotypical, you know, views of Christianity and, and Christians. You know, Rayleigh and I were watching a recent Netflix drama, you know, and there were a couple of times they took a, a swipe at Christianity and, you know, using phrases like accept Jesus as your savior and all this stuff. And they were just kind of doing it in a mocking way. I mean, and I get it. I mean, this is our culture. This is our culture. Some of it's deserved. I get it. But this, this is our culture. Honestly, everyone hates evangelism. Everyone, um, even uh, whether it's believers or non-believers, we all hate evangelism, okay? Um, and so, so one of the things, I mean, one of the things that I just personally struggle with is how sometimes our evangelism strategies, I'm, I'm using evangelism. I know it's, it's, it's kind of a, it has a negative context, but I'm just talking about sharing good news because that's what the word means, okay? But one of the problems is, is how sometimes our, our sharing the good news strategies, our strategies to do that often feel like this uh, pyramid, you know, scheme sales pitch, right? It feels like a pyramid scheme sales pitch. Invite them to a friendly cup of coffee. Invite them to a friendly cup of coffee with no agenda um, and then lower the boom when you get there, right? Um, I hate when people do that, do that to me. I hate that when they do it to me. I can smell it a mile away. They have an agenda, but they're acting like they don't have an agenda. I hate that. And yet it seems like that's what our sharing our faith, our vengeance often becomes. It, it, this, this disingenuous sales pitch that, that it doesn't engage my heart at all. 
as one trying to share this. It doesn't engage my heart at all. In fact, and it turns other people off, but it does the opposite in terms of my heart. But what does engage my heart is when I get to know a real person over time and I hear their story and I begin to see their brokenness, just like my own brokenness. I begin to see it and suddenly I can't wait to look for an opening, an opportunity to point them to the one, to Jesus, who can meet them in that place, to point them to Jesus, who can remove their shame, who, who can help them find healing to that part of them that's turning to this addiction or whatever. That's when sharing my faith is fun. That's when it's fun. It's when I know someone well enough to see exactly how Jesus could make a difference to them. And I just start looking for ways to naturally bring him into the conversation. Folks, we have some really good news. It is really good news for the people around us. We get to let them know that the kingdom of God has come near to us, that, that God is for you, that God wants to heal your broken heart. He wants to set you free. He wants to pour out an amazing love upon you beyond anything you can imagine. He wants to forgive your sin. He wants to give you a new heart. God is all about changing people's stories. That's what he's about. So... So when I, when I define sharing my faith or evangelism, when I define that as looking for ways to share the four laws with someone who really doesn't want to hear them, that makes me nauseous, okay? That definition of evangelism makes me nauseous. But when I define evangelism as getting close enough to people to hear their stories and to see their pain and to authentically and gently offer Jesus to them as the answer, that gets me fired up. That gets me fired up. Why? Because my heart gets engaged. I begin to actually care about this person, not simply as a project, but as a person that God loves and that could use this good news that has blessed me so much. They could use that as well. And that God wants to meet them personally. So then I began praying earnestly for them and asking God for opportunities to, for their hearts to be open to hear this incredible news but it changes the whole paradigm. See, don't ever forget, folks, don't ever forget that you have good news to share. It's not bad news. It is good news. Even if our society makes fun of it and has, has kind of been blinded to this reality, you know, even with all that, it doesn't change the fact that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it's the best news of all. It's a news that brings hope in our society where there is not a lot of hope. It's incredible news. It's the best news of all. Okay, now in this passage, there's another aspect of moving beyond our guilt to engaging our hearts. So we talked about how one of just that we have good news. Remember, we have good news. But the second aspect is that we have been sent out with God's presence and power. We have been sent out with God's presence and power. Look again at verse one. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And, and, and then in chapter 10, we see a very similar dynamic at work. The 72 are appointed by Jesus and they are commanded to go out and to heal the sick and to cast out demons. Now, this is clearly not something that they can do in their own power. It's not. Jesus, the text says that Jesus gave them power and authority to do these things. Now, what is it that would move these followers of Jesus to do this? When they, when they go out, first village, and they see someone with leprosy, 
or they go out and they see someone with, tormented by demons? What would move them to minister healing and life to these people? It's not guilt. This isn't about guilt. What would move them to minister life to these people is compassion. It's compassion. For several chapters in the book of Luke, they've seen Jesus respond with compassion to people in need. Most recently, we just looked at this last week, most recently this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years or Jairus, who, the synagogue leader whose only daughter, his 12-year-old daughter had just died. They have seen Jesus' compassion in action toward anyone in need, not just those around Jesus, but also the marginalized, the outcast, those that society has kind of rejected. Jesus, is, his compassion instinctively moves toward all of those needs instinctively moves towards that, wherever that need is. And so now as the disciples go out, they're sent out, and they go out in this power and authority to heal, guess what motivates them? Same thing. They can make a difference in people's lives. They get to make a difference in the lives of these people who are hurting. They can change people's stories because of Jesus' presence and power with them. Okay, now, now here's the cool thing. We can look at that. Oh, that's a nice thing in Scripture and all that. But here's the cool thing. That same power and authority have been given to anyone who has placed their trust in Jesus. If you have placed your trust in Jesus, admitted your need and placed your trust in him, you have the very presence of God living in you through the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And this is why in the, in, the, in the letter to the church at Ephesus, a little later in the New Testament, the book of Ephesus, Paul says in Ephesians 1 and 2, he says that it's not only that Christ is seated at the right hand of God over every power and authority, it's pretty cool, right? Christ is seated, he says that, Christ is seated there. But then he also says in chapter 2, but you are seated with Christ, <laughs> in the heavenly realms. You are seated with him. See, we have been given by Jesus the same power and authority to move towards needs and to move towards brokenness with the love and the healing of Jesus. I mean, think about that. You and I, here's another way to say this. You and I are carriers of the presence and power of God wherever we go. We are carriers of the presence and the power of God wherever we go. In, in a very real way, we bring his kingdom resources with us wherever we go into our work environment that is torn by backbiting and strife. We bring the presence and healing power of Jesus every day into our neighbor's situation where we're standing on their driveway and we're listening to them share about the challenges that they're having with their teenage son. And in that moment, we have kingdom resources that are ours to employ. The power of loving prayer for that struggling teenager. We have been given the very spirit of God who lives in us. And we bring his presence into whatever brokenness and pain we encounter. This is so cool. I mean, having the power and authority of Jesus gives us, the power that Jesus gives us, it naturally causes us to ask if we have this power, it naturally will cause us to ask, okay, God, what do you want to do in this situation? What do you want to do in this situation? How do you want me to respond to this need? What would it look like for your kingdom to come in this situation right here? We're asking that question because we know we have this power with us. Recently, one of our Kids Hope mentors, Kids Hope is a mentoring ministry we have at Maplewood Elementary School. One of our Kids Hope mentors was meeting with a student at the school 
And after they did some homework, they go out to play on the playground. And that's the typical routine, one hour a week with kids up. And, 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 and he, this, this mentor noticed that as they would go out to play, all this, this, these kids' friends, this, this, this child he's mentoring, his friends would come join them. And so soon... He's got you know, these, this group of kids with him. He's playing with every week. He's playing with these guys. And, and, and as, as this, this mentor began to get to know these boys, he realized many of these guys don't have a dad. I mean, they don't have any male role model. They don't have a healthy home. So he started to listen to his heart. And he asked, okay, how can I bring the kingdom here? What, what would that look like? And he had an idea. I'm going to start, instead of just playing kickball or whatever, I'm going to start asking them questions about life and about their future and about what it means to be a man. And very soon, these, these playtimes turned into mentoring sessions where these kids are learning truths about life, truths that they wouldn't get anywhere else. And these truths were embodied in this retired man who loved them. What might happen? What might happen if we view ourselves as being carriers of the presence of God wherever we go? What might happen if we just viewed ourselves that way? And we naturally ask God, okay, God, hey, what do you want to do in this situation? What, what do you want to do here? What are you wanting to do in this situation at work? What do you want to do in this situation with our neighbor? What, 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 would, what would it look like for your power and presence and love to be at work here in a greater way? And how can I be an instrument for that? A few months ago, I had a coffee with a veterinarian from in our church, and he was telling me about a few Christ community people in the dairy industry who had heard about the plight of girls in Africa, um, the whole forced marriage thing and the female genital mutilation thing, horrible practices, horrible things that happen. And they heard about that and these guys wanted to do something to help. And so they connected with the Girls Rescue Center, who we've, we've been, we're, we're a part of that ministry there in Kenya, we connected with the Girls Rescue Center in Kenya and they found out that these girls, what they really need, the girls in this home, this rescue center, they need sustainable income so they can continue to live there, some way to have income. So these guys figured out a way to get some cows over there on site. And these cows are providing milk that these girls can sell to provide sustainable income for the center. Now, this is no small undertaking. I mean, these guys met for months or a year just to figure this out. And, and now it involves one of the team members, one of these guys on this team going out every six to eight weeks. They got to fly someone out there to, to make sure everything's working properly. It's no small endeavor. So as I was having coffee with this one part of this team, the, this one man, he just, he was so excited. He was showing me pictures on his iPad and excitedly shared about his recent trip there. He had just gotten back on how he was able to make some, he noticed what they were feeding and the percentages they were feeding cows. I don't know anything about this stuff, but he was talking about all these details and how by just adjusting some of these feeding things within five days, the milk production increased 35% in five days. 35% increase. I never thought I would be inspired by cows, but I was inspired, <clears throat> actually not by cows. I was inspired by these men. They are not professional missionaries with years of training. These are guys who know cows and they know Jesus and they were willing to see a need and to ask, okay, Jesus, how can we bring your kingdom into that situation? The resources we have, how can we bring your kingdom in the, into that situation? See, that's a heart question. Right? That's a heart question. And that's a heart response. It's not about guilt. 
you should. That's not about any of that. It's not about obligation. It's not about ought to's and should's. No, it's about seeing a need and saying, okay, God, how can you and I bring the presence, your presence, your kingdom in a greater way? How can we bring that into a great, in a greater way into the situation? Remember, we've received his power and his authority. We, we carry that wherever we go. We carry this wherever we go. Now, I'm no expert on superheroes. Some of you are, and you can, you know, correct me later or whatever. I'm no expert on superheroes. But most, most of the time when I've seen Spider-Man movies and Superman movies and Flash, you know, these kinds of things, those that I've seen, these superheroes are pretty focused on using their ability to change the world for good. Right? So when they see a need, they respond, right? Right? They, you know, Superman's responding. Why? Because they have a unique power and they want to use it for good. Now, when we see movies like this, we would never admit it, but let's just, you know, we'll just admit it right here. When we see movies like that, many of us are secretly thinking to ourselves, wouldn't it be cool to have a superpower like that? Wouldn't it be cool to have a superpower like that? Well, you know what, folks? In a very real sense, you do. You do. You have the power and authority of, that Jesus has given to you. So look around you. Look around you at the needs you see and then step into those needs in the power and the authority of Jesus. Now, now that imagine that 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 uh, imagery kind of there it raises it raises one other issue that Jesus speaks to in this passage, um, and it highlights another aspect of engaging our hearts. Notice what Jesus says in verse three. You may have noticed this already when I said it the first time because it's sort of just what is this doing here? Jesus says, "Take nothing for the journey: no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt." And then to the 72, the next chapter, he says a similar thing. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. What is this about? Why is it that when Jesus sends out his followers, he doesn't want them taking any extra stuff with them? Here's why. When we are sent out, we not only have been sent out with incredibly good news and with God's presence, we also have been sent out to be completely dependent upon Jesus. See, Jesus didn't want these followers leaning on their own comfort, their own conveniences. He wanted them living on the edge, if you will, living on the edge. You know, he, he wanted them and us to step out of our comfort zone because he knows that when we do that, guess what? We have to depend more fully on him. When we step out of our comfort zones, we have to depend more fully on him. Sometimes, actually more often than not, many of us here, we think to ourselves, I don't have anything to offer. I'm not gifted enough, I'm not, I don't have enough training, I'm not that compassionate or whatever, you know. All of those things we hear is a bunch of you-know-what, because the reality is we are all sent by Jesus because we have something to offer. Every one of us here, we have, you have something to offer. He has created you with unique gifts and unique passions and personalities and life experiences and all those things. They are uniquely, those things all together in you, they, that, that those things are uniquely able to, to, able, able to help you bring his kingdom. They are uniquely able to enabling you to bring his kingdom into the lives of people around you because of the way God has made you. All of us have something to offer. In fact, in Ephesians 2, back to the book of Ephesians, Paul says, in verse 10, he says, there are good works out there that God has prepared in advance for you to do. 
In other words, if we don't do it, those things are not getting done, right? He has prepared them specifically for you to do and for me to do. Our job then is to listen to our heart and discover what those things are. Given our unique wiring and our unique context and our unique gifts and all those things, what are those things? And it's going to be different than other people, and that's okay. We're just trying to figure out, okay, God, what, what, what is my calling here? How do you want to use me, my gifts and my abilities and my context and my experiences and all that stuff? How do you want to use me? And we just listen and do what he says. Now, granted, following our hearts, it, it may mean stepping out of our comfort zone so that we can be exposed to people and needs and stories that we wouldn't otherwise be exposed to. And that, that's kind of a, um, a, a, just the way this works. I remember having a lunch with a guy um, in his 50s. Um, had, had done very well, lived in a nice home and west side of town and life was good, but he felt this stirring in his heart that there was more. He kind of felt bored, honestly. He had everything, right? But he felt bored and his life just felt a little too comfortable. Um, and so he began to check out this ministry that we partner with here called Jobs of Hope, which is a mentoring ministry to guys who are coming out of prison. They're just trying to get their life back together. What does it mean to be a dad? What does it mean to have a job? You know, those kinds of things. And so just going that first time, here's a guy, this is a totally different world for him. So first time, he is nervous, right? Huge step of faith, way beyond his comfort zone. And he wondered, I'm not even equipped for this. I don't even know what I'm going to say to you. I just don't know. I, I can't relate to these guys. Will this even work? Will they even want to be friends with me? Will this even work? But he went. And he began to meet some of these guys. And now there's a face and a story, you know, with these things. He began to just build relationships. His eyes were open. His heart was open to see what they wrestled with and what they were going through. And, and in the midst of that journey, he just began to ask Jesus, okay, Jesus, how can you and I together bring your kingdom into these situations? What would that look like into these men's lives? So in, in, in talking with him that day, when we were having lunch or whatever, he was telling me about some of this stuff. I could just sense this renewed energy, this renewed enthusiasm and passion about life. Whereas before, his life kind of felt boring, honestly. Now he was changing someone's story. He was partnering with God to change the world. He's very, he's very glad he took that risk. It wasn't easy, but that risk to step out of his comfort zone and go that first time, that risk opened his heart. It opened up his heart in a, in a whole new way, enabling him to be a part of God's plan to change the world. See, that's the invitation for each one of us. God invites us to live as sent ones. It's not about guilt. It is not about guilt. It is about your heart and my heart. Seeing the needs around us, paying attention to those divine promptings of, of particular passion, and then moving towards those needs. Moving towards those needs with love and compassion, with the message of the gospel and the power of the spirit, depending on Jesus to lead us and to use us for his glory. While it may feel a bit scary, I guarantee it will. It may feel a little bit risky and a little bit scary. It's actually the very thing our heart longs for. It's the very thing our heart longs for, to be a part of changing the world. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this passage, this amazing, amazing paradigm shift that you actually invite us to be a part of your plan to change the world.
That's an amazing invitation, Lord, to be your follower and to be a part of this amazing plan. To be given this news, this good news of your love for people, to be given your power and authority. Wow. Thank you, Lord. So I want you just to, just to do a little exercise in prayer with me. Just close your eyes here. Imagine, imagine you're one of those 72 in Luke 10. And Jesus is there, and all you are gathered around him. He's giving your instructions. He's just, you're, you're living, you're being sent out. You're living as sent ones. But in this context, in, the, in this community, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, you're, you're living as carriers of the presence of God. That's the calling, okay? Imagine you're one of those 72. And let me just ask, just prayerfully ask this question. Where is your heart drawn? Are there particular needs around you that, are, that stir something in you? Or is there a particular family or neighbor, or particular people, someone at work where your heart is just drawn to this person? Or maybe it's a school you drive by who's, where mentors are needed, or maybe it's a nursing home where visitors are appreciated, or maybe it's the county jail you drive by it regularly and just something in your heart is being stirred. Where is God stirring your heart? towards an area of need or brokenness? Just think about that question right now. So now maybe we have a need identified or a person or something. Now I want you to ask a follow-up question here. What keeps you from moving towards that need? What keeps you from moving towards that need? And now whatever it is, are, are you willing just to say, hey, Jesus, how can you and I partner together? Would you, would you help me move towards that need to step out of my comfort zone and, or towards that person? Just tell the Lord that in the quiet of your heart. God, we just want to be people that live out of our hearts, not out of guilt or obligation or ought to. No, we just want to be people who live out of our hearts and we pay attention to those stirrings. And we acknowledge it. it's not about any one of us meeting every need around us. It's just, where are you leading us? It's seeing people. And where are you moving our hearts? And I pray you'd give us the courage to step out of our comfort zone and to follow our heart towards people in need. And then just to realize we are carriers of the presence of God into, into whatever situation we're going into and that we would partner with you in what you're wanting to do, God, so that we could change people's stories. We could see you change people's stories. We could be a part of, of changing the world. Thank you, God, for this incredible invitation. Mm. And God, thank you for this good news that makes it all possible. It's incredible news. 
Jesus, that you came to earth for us because we were lost in our sinfulness and our rebellion. We were separated from God and you came to earth for us. You died on a cross in our place. Thank you for doing that, for giving us a new heart, giving us new lives and inviting us to be a part of your plan. Now, there may be some of you here who realize, you know, you've never said yes to Jesus, that initial step into a relationship with him. And maybe you realize this is your time that you want to invite him in. You don't have to understand all the ins and outs of that, but you, you just know you need his love and you need his forgiveness and you want him transforming you from the inside out. So if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer where you can open your heart and receive Jesus so that all these things we've talked about would be true of you. You would be a part of his team to change the world. But it requires this initial entrance into a relationship with him. So if that's you, would you pray along with me in the silence of your heart? And it doesn't matter how far from God you feel. It doesn't matter. Jesus loves you. He loves you. It doesn't matter your past. It, it doesn't matter. He loves you. And he wants to meet you right where you're at. So pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not. I've done my own thing. I've kind of done my, gone my own way. I know I haven't followed you very well and I realize that separates me from you. You're, you're holy, I'm not. I'm separated from you. And there's nothing I could do to get back to you. It doesn't matter how nice I try to be and try to be a good person and change my life. It doesn't matter. All that stuff is still falls short of your holiness. I don't want to be separated from you. So even though there's nothing I could do, you came to me. You sent your son Jesus to die on a cross in my place. Jesus, you took my sin upon yourself. You took my shame all, you, you took all of that upon yourself for me. Thank you. And I choose to place my trust in you. I bring to you my shame and my fear and failures and doubts and questions. I don't have it all figured out, Lord, I just, but I just know I long for your love. So I bring all of that to you and I place all of that on your shoulders. And in exchange for that, I receive your life and your forgiveness your cleansing of all of my sin, past, present, and future. And now I receive your Holy Spirit to come live in me forever, changing me from the inside out through the power of your love. So God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer, help them grow in their relationship with you.